Hello Life Changers, thank you so much for joining us. We have got an amazing word for you, so why don't you lean in, grab a notebook and pen, and get ready for what God has to say to you today. So we come at this time and we are navigating the season and speaking about the heart of it as we are reminded what the heart of the mission was for Jesus. But he reminds us that there's a mission and there's a heart of that mission for us. And then challenging that, it comes and you know what it does? It confronts everything in our lives, every perspective, every thought. It challenges every process. We, we, and, and, and here's the thing. It's not easy being a Christian. No one said it would be. <laughs> and if someone did, you've got to process stuff. You've got to take the Word of God and then say, this is my life, but how does it look in light of the, the Word of God? And the Word of God then speaks, and then the Spirit of God whispers. You know those little whispers? The whispers of God into our lives saying, actually, I want you to work there. I want you to bring perspective there. And, and why we get on that mission, if it's just religious Christianity, I've said this before, it's going to be white-knuckling every detail of that story. Holding on. Just holding on. No one wants to do that. Honestly, I watch those dudes who climb those cliffs. Have you seen those guys? They free climb the biggest mountains in America or whatever, and they're holding on the rock. I'm going, I could not think of anything worse than holding on my, a rock with my pinky and my this finger and my leg up here and my other leg. I'm like, and I'm on the middle. I'm like, I could, that, that's not where I want to be, honestly. And yet there are too many Christians. I'm fine. I'm fine, look how high I am. And, and I'm going, no, that's not you in relationship. You're walking with a shepherd. You're not holding on to a cliff, waiting to fall. And as we navigate the series, we just wanted to jump in back into one of the most amazing texts in the ESV commentary. I just saw this, it says, it is simply incomparable. And in perhaps the greatest parable Jesus ever uttered, which would make it the greatest parable in history. It's just this parable in Luke 15, Jesus speaks about the lost son, and it just speaks into everything. It speaks into religious hearts. It speaks into uh, uh, how far or far we can never get too far from God. It speaks into every detail, but it speaks into the mission and the mandate of the church to remind us that God's got a big story for us. And, and, and remind us that we don't exist for ourselves and to remind us that, that there's a mission and the mission looks like people who are far from God. Yeah. And as we're reminded of that, he keeps challenging us and he takes us through these three parables and almost there's this kind of parable of deal. The first one is one in a hundred sheep. So it's like a one percentile. Then there's the one in 10 coins, it's like a 10%. And then it's one out of two sons. With increasing value from sheep to coin to sons, there's this measure of increase. And Jesus is putting in place and driving home through this parable a fictitious story that he speaks, but he's speaking it into our hearts so that we would hear it today, so that our hearts would explode. First, with going, thank you, Jesus. If you can't see yourself as the prodigal in your story, then I think we're missing it. If you can't see yourself as the older brother, then I think we're missing it. But we got to hear him. we got to see him. And they're these characters, obviously the father, and he's seemingly successful. He's built his life that his sons can thrive. In. And then there's the older brother who obviously doesn't do anything wrong, ever, never. And, and he's this character, and he'll feature, we'll preach about him a little bit more next week. And then there's the, this, this prodigal son, this younger son. And so this morning, I'm kind of a practical guy. I read the Bible, and I'm going, okay, the Bible's showing me things. This morning is simply this, three steps to chaos and three steps to freedom. Simple. All right. 
I know some of you are like, oh, I've just did that 12 steps to health. That didn't work. So I don't know about your three steps. It's okay. I've tried all the steps and um, we'll keep trying steps to health. But this one works because it's the Bible. So will you read with me from Luke chapter 15? And he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he'd spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country. And he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country and sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would, gladly, he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating. And no one was giving him anything to eat. I'm really not reading while well, making it up as I go. Let me read that one again. And <laughs> these glasses aren't working. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I'm dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again, and was lost, and has been found, and they began to celebrate. I pray, Spirit of God, would you be with us as we come before the Word today. Each heart laid down before you. Maybe some have heard sermons on this scripture a thousand times. But I pray, Spirit of God, you would speak. You would show us the Father. You would show us the Father, and as Philip said, that would be enough for us. You would show us Jesus today. You bring freedom and life and joy. We worship you, King. Amen. And today we're going to be looking at this youngest son. And I think there was a journey, as I read it, I think there was a cry for freedom. I don't know what that freedom was for or from. Maybe he wanted freedom from his father who just was always there. That's kind of what fathers are, hopefully. That's the desire. And yet somehow there's a kick against that. It's like, I don't necessarily want that voice in my life again. Or maybe it's the older brother who's, who's, who's always ticking the boxes. He's just always doing right. And maybe it's the fact that in their culture, the older brother would have got double portion of the inheritance. And every day that just grated the younger son. It's like, why? He just didn't work out his place. He just couldn't work out how he fitted into the story. Couldn't work out where that story. And there's this cry for freedom. Maybe he just wanted new scenery. He got itchy feet and he wanted to get on with a story that was different to his family's story. I grew up in Durban, and Durbs, uh, if you're from Durbs, we were chatting with someone this morning, it's, like a, it's more like a town on steroids, then, because everyone knows each other. And so it's like everyone knows each other, and they're all friends. And I went to one of the biggest schools. I, 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 I was a church in one of the biggest churches, and so you know a lot of people. And then as a 19-year-old, I thought, what I'll do, I, I just thought I'll take this girl on a date. But she wasn't from our church. She didn't actually know Jesus, and I shouldn't have been doing that thing that night. So I thought what I'll do is I'll plan it well. I'll do it on life group night when everyone's at life group, so I know the church are busy. 
Strategy, guys. You've got to have strategy. So I thought what I'll do is I'll take her out on a Tuesday night, which when we did life group and everyone at church went to life groups in those days, we, 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 we went out to dinner. I thought what I'll do is I'll place her kind of against the wall and I'll sit this side looking at the wall. So even if someone does come, they won't even see me. I won't even see how you strategies. Oh, this past is weird. And uh, so I'm busy having dinner. We're talking. And so we're on a Tuesday night. Everyone's at church, obviously. And I just see her looking over my shoulder. I think, oh, that's cool. And we're having a dinner, chatting, and she looks up and up and up. Eventually, she's looking like this. And I just hear this voice behind me go, hi, I'm Rory, Mark's pastor. Who are you? <laughs> and he literally said those exact words. I'm like, and I'm dying inside. I'm going, if there's one person I didn't want to be here, it would be him. And then I realized he also, he doesn't lead a life group. This is his one night. He can get out and know the church on there. It epically failed. And sometimes... You get, you get to that age, and I'd been in church, that church since I was 14, and I was in that church for 20 years, and you get time, you just want to kick out. I feel like the younger son maybe just wanted to kick out of those voices, those people who were watching. Just the story. He wanted his own story, and, and, and yet there's this freedom cry, and everything in the world is, you can do the freedom pedal. You know what that sounds like? Paddling in this ice-cold water around Robben Island. Or you can raise the game and do a freedom swim, where you swim. To Robin Island. You guys know these things. Eh? There's the crazy people. You can do the Freedom Mountain Bike Ride, 460 kilo, 80 kilometers from Peter Maritzburg to Rhodes. I mean, on a mountain bike, you know what that does to your body? It's not pretty. And, um, and, and all these things. And, and people are constantly making statements. I hear it. I want freedom from debt. I want freedom from their relationship. Well, I want to just speak about a couple of steps to chaos that I think are laid out by this man's journey, and a couple of steps to freedom, first step to chaos, and I would call it this, entitlement. It says this verse 11, and he said, a father had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. Now, I don't know how that conversation would have gone down with my dad. I'm pretty sure it wouldn't have gone down particularly well. I'm not sure it would go down if Judah walked up to me and said, dad, I'm in grade eight now and I'm feeling good about life. Can I have my inheritance? <laughs> I'm not sure. That would land particularly well. Any fathers in the room, that's a conversation you've waited for. It's, it's just, and, and yet there's this kind of, behind it, if you understand the culture even more, it's like a supreme act of shame for a son to come. Basically what the son is saying is, Father, actually you'd be better off to me dead. You'd be more beneficial to my story, far from me and dead in my life, that I would just get from you what I need, which is an inheritance, a financial inheritance. And he says this, can, can, I give you, can you give me my share? Your share? Your share of what? I'm alive. You want my leg and my, like your share. It's such interesting language and yet devastating and would have been devastating and it would have been a death. Later, the father refers and he says, for my son was dead. Now, his son wasn't dead, but his son was dead in relation to him the day, the minute and the second he said that. He says, my son was dead, but now he's alive. He says, he speaks to the brother, he says, for your brother was dead. Why? Because there was a separation that came on because of a spirit that had gripped the young man, a spirit, I believe, that looks like a spirit of entitlement. And the challenge is we come to our world and everyone deserves it. It's like, obviously, I'm going to be famous. I just need to put one video up. Obviously, I just need to try out for AGT. I deserve fame. It's like, how did Simon not choose me? How? Well, you can't sing. Sorry. It's like, but I deserve, you don't deserve it. 
Who told you you deserve it? And yet the challenge is that culture creeps into our hearts, creeps into our story, and creeps into the church, and we come to God, I deserve the good life. I deserve the good wife. I deserve good health. I deserve these things. And we come to God with this entitlement understanding. I'm telling you, it's a challenge. It's the first point of separation. It's the first step to chaos. See, and, and, and it's this understanding that we're important. And, and we are important. And the challenges in navigating this, there's this understanding. But we see how gracious the Father is. As He navigates this, I'm going, I don't think I would have been that gracious personally. And we don't know what his share was. It probably, according to the law of the day, would have been a one-third as the older brother would have got two-thirds. But he's like, actually, I want it now. I don't trust you with my future. He's not acting like a son anymore. He's acting like a slave. He's acting like I I don't trust you with my future. I don't want what should be mine in the future to remain in your hands because I don't trust it'll grow. I don't trust it'll come. A lot of people live like that. A lot of Christians can respond to God like that. I know because I've done it. I'll take what I can get now rather than what I can trust God for. How I can hold on to Him. I see, I don't, I, I, I don't know if He's going to be good tomorrow, so I'm entitled to what I deserve today. It's the first step to chaos. We see in this man's love. Second step to chaos, and again, these are on high-level points. I just read the Bible and say, God, what is it? It says in verse 13, And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. A second step to chaos, actually, just restlessness. We live in a restless world where I can live here, I can live there, I can be there, I can be here. I can do what I want. I can work here, I can work there. And we live in a world that's coming against a whole bunch of things the Bible encourages us. One thing the Bible encourages us is towards perseverance. And yet, if you want to know the quickest way to, to get a promotion or to get an increased salary is to not persevere, to jump jobs. I worked in the corporate world for nine, ten years. And it was just in that age where I was between the boomers and the next generation. And the boomers are there. We've been here for 30 years and we're waiting for our watch. And the next guy's like, can't wait to get out of here. And it's a, it's a challenge because these are cultures of our world that come into our hearts. And yet the Bible challenges us and gives us pictures like Noah who somewhere between 100 years and 120 years preached, there's a flood coming while he built his ark and everyone thought, you're an idiot. And after seven, after 100 years or 120 years, how many salvations? Seven. Seven, most of them, his family, all of them. It's like they have to say yes. It's not the most successful kind of campaign, evangelistic campaign I've ever heard of, seven in a 100 years. No, he just persevered because God has spoken. You see, David goes and he's got king after him. You've got Saul chasing him down. He's stuck in a cave with 300 disgruntled, disillusioned, in-debt, discontent dudes going, this is cool. Then he gets an opportunity to kill Saul. He doesn't take it because he trusts the voice of God. He doesn't get restless, and he perseveres in the story. But this son, he, he just says, it's not many days. He gets his inheritance. I'm out of here. He doesn't say God had spoken to him. He doesn't say there was any clarity. He doesn't say he got any conversation with any wise men. He just said he went to a distant country. Secondly, the challenge is, the Bible says, actually, in the Psalm 92, the righteous will flourish like a palm, palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of God. There is a planting that is necessary for growth. Yeah. A planting. Planting is hard. I mean, I'm not a gardener, but I've watched people do it. So I'm like, 
Um, I try every now. You've got to plant that thing. We planted a big bulb during Corona because our neighbor was throwing it out. Candace has told the story. But that thing was hard. It was like 300 kgs, this big bulbless thing. Trying to dig a big hole, plant it down. I even had to go buy special stuff to make sure it wasn't scarred. And the scarred, and I've never thought of, I'd be shopping for that for a plant. But, um, but it can't be rushed. That's the point. And you've got to fix yourself. And I'm not saying you're going to stay someplace. No, God can replant and God reposition. But be planted. You've got to allow yourself to be planted. And I'm challenged in that we, we have a, a generation and a people and a world where actually I don't need to be rooted, planted anywhere. And in many ways that can work, but not according to the Bible and not according to spiritual growth and not according to God flourishing in your life. I want to flourish. Maybe we should call the next men's event Flourish. I don't know. Don't think I, <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> you reckon? But the challenge is we've got to understand, when did the prodigal son become the prodigal son? Was it just, and maybe in your perspective, when he's sitting in the pig's muck, eating the pig's food, is that when he became the prodigal son? Or is it the minute and the second his restless heart provoked him to say, I'm going to a distant land? The issue of a prodigal son is distance from the father, not from the estate and not from the resources, distance from the father. That's why if we only ever read the scripture and refer to it in the case of, well, that guy's a prodigal. No, my heart is a prodigal every day. Every day my heart is impatient. Every day fighting for health for people, fighting for health for my wife. I'm going, God, I don't like this. I'm entitled to healing. Your Bible says because of the cross and says come with faith. So we struggle with concepts. And the biggest question asked in the church, why do bad things happen to good people? Because there's eternity is going to be long. There's going to be no sickness in eternity. I mean, no pain, no brokenness, just Jesus. That name we sang this morning for 20 minutes, imagine that for 20,000 million times, just singing over and over again. So I've got to deal with my prodigal heart and the restlessness that creeps in at times. Impatience. Ultimately, lack of trust. It's a step towards chaos. No one would say, well, he just went to a foreign land. How would he end up there? I'm telling you, people are making big decisions these days and not navigating the word. I'm talking financial. I'm talking life. I'm talking faith. And I'm telling you, as much as the Bible says hearing the word of God becomes faith in our lives, we hear the word of God and becomes faith. Well, I'm telling you, if we're not hearing the word of God, if we're hearing something else, we become fear too. What we take in determines what comes out in our story. And lastly, and these are just many different points we'd look at it, but step three to chaos, actually poor stewardship. Sounds like, that's like, Mark, that's like a, not a bad thing. It's not like super bad. No, the Bible speaks a lot about sonship and stewardship. A lot. And Drake, years ago, popularized 2016, 2017 YOLO in a song. You only live once. So we've got a whole world that's only living once. And so it's, I can get access to cash. So I'm going to live it up now. And it says this, as this young guy navigated his life, he says, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. He squandered it. This was a love. It says, now when he had spent everything, say everything. I mean, it's gone. The challenge is, in his day, that means he had no more money in his pockets or around him. Today, that doesn't mean that. 
That means I've also spent every bit of cent that the bank offered me because they told me I was worth it. And every bit of cent that the account who phoned me keeps telling me I'm worth it. And, and I'm going, no. It's even worse now. And the deeper hole, it says, and then now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. Highball. And yet the Bible speaks so much about famines. Everywhere there are famines. In Joseph's day, Joseph's story and his incredible story would not have transpired if there wasn't a famine in the land. God uses famines to wake us up. And this young man lived in an area and an age where they actually were always close to famine because it would arid land if they didn't have good rains. Next minute, basically famine. And yet he knew that, but he was young, so he hadn't seen it happen. His father would have seen it. His father would have planned, but he hadn't seen it. So he lived like there's no tomorrow. YOLO, hashtag best life ever. Look at me. Bugatti in the desert. I don't think they had Bugattis then. I, uh, but, but I want to tell you, spending is easy. Spending is easy. Investing and saving for a future and it is like this grudge purchase that you put away. I've got to save for what? When I'm older... And this is not a financial talk, but this is a financial reality. He took an inheritance, a financial inheritance. This story is not just about that, but it's largely also related to that. And he just squandered it. And we've got people taking inheritances, relational, emotional, spiritual, and squandering in a distant land. Why? Because they're far from their father. And when we're far from our father, we find it easy to waste. We find there, there's no reason to steward well. But when I'm near to my father, I'm reminded of what's on his heart. Because that's at the heart of it. And I get close to his heart. And when I'm near to him, I, I, it's not a case of, oh, he'd look down on me. It's a case of, I want to be like him. The challenge of most people is they don't want to be like their fathers. When I meet people all the time, there are very few they have got this incredible raving testimony of their father. My father was amazing. So we come to a scripture like this, and then we come to a God who's described as a father, and the Bible says, become like him. I go, I don't want to be like my father. I've not struggled with that because I've actually had an amazing father. He inherited alcoholism from all his parents and grandparents. They all died. He grew up in a boarding school, didn't leave, was too scared to break windows because didn't have money to fix it. That's his story. But he got Jesus. So I got a father who had Jesus. And he became like his father. So I got a father who became like his father. And I received that in my life. But I realized most people don't. This journey is to be near. At the center of the issue of being a prodigal is distance, not finances. It's distance. You can be in church today and every day and every meeting and be a prodigal. I can. I can get up and preach and be a prodigal. Why? Because the Father says, come closer, and I'm saying, I'm good here. And the next day, I'm good here. And I'm good here. And all of a sudden, his voice is soft, and other voices are very loud, and you're going, where are you, God? He says, I'm still here. I never left. He spent everything, and, and, and a, a situation of no margin, leaving no breathing space. He spent every single sin, and the famine comes, and again, in the Bible, it's a signal of change, but also a chance of new beginning. And as we navigate this poor stewardship reality, we realize that this, the, this as he drives it in, it results in chaos. This is the chaos. 
So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. And he sent him out into the fields to feed swine. He would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving him anything. You get, he, he results in distance from his family, from his friends, from his familiarity, from those who love him. He results in, 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 in a devalued life. He has no more value. He's no, he's no longer a valued son who would have got respect at his father's house and farm. He's now just a hired hand, working hard. I'm telling you, sometimes like all I do is work hard, work hard, work hard, yeah. Because we're a hired hand. Come back to the Father and watch your work become privilege and pleasure. Watch His favor come. It's a position issue. It's a distance issue. It's a come closer to the Father issue. And lastly, a status. He goes from a status of citizen with an inheritance to refugee in a land where no one cares about him. They won't even give him. A single meal, he's actually just a burden. You've got to know this is low, super low. For a Jewish boy to be feeding the pigs is a problem. It's a problem. Bacon not on the menu. They would have. Not just, not that, not the issue. No, got that wrong. But not a, not a position of status. So three steps. But what about three steps of freedom? And these will be quicker. It says another way. Step number one. This one's the easiest one. Wake up. It says this. But when he comes, came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have had more enough bread? <laughs> hired men have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here with hunger. I'll get up and go to the Father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven. He continues. In Ephesians, it speaks about the, 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 those far from God. Those, he's speaking about the instruction of Christian living, and he speaks about how the challenge is we can have lost all sensitivity. They gave themselves over to sensuality. We can become so desensitized that we can lose our senses. And we start navigating a life, and that's what happens. And it starts first spiritually. I'm telling you. We are spiritual beings. When it's our bank account that's determining how good God is in our life, we've got something wrong. And our spirituality, we aren't as near to God as we think. So we've got to be reminded that the very first step to a journey to freedom, true freedom, is come to your senses. Wake up. Stop. And I would just suggest two things that I think happened in this man's life. First, honesty. I love his honesty. He says this, he just gets, he says, I have sinned. I will get up and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you. He takes ownership of his mess. I love King David when he messes up and the whole Bathsheba adultery and, and, and then the prophet comes and challenges him. This is his response. He doesn't go, yes, I was tired, guys, and stressed of leading the nation. Just got PTSD from Goliath. And, and, and then my brothers, they didn't, you know, they didn't even like me. And then I, I still think about bears sometimes in my sleep, and I was just tired. And then I saw Bathsheba, and she was lying there, and basically she was throwing herself at me. It wasn't that. It wasn't that. It's like I just fell into bed with Bathsheba. No one does that. For I know my transgressions. He, he says, he say, that transgressions, is, it, it, in other words for that is revolt. The, 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 the rebellion in my heart. I know the rebellion in my heart. This is King David. He says, and my sin is always against me, before me. Against you, you only have I sinned. The, uh, that, the challenge of that is the sin there is to miss the mark. He said, I've missed it. 
God, you've been so good to me and I've missed it. I've just missed it. You ever feel like you missed the mark? We all do. He says, against you and only you have I sinned and, and, and done what is evil in your sight. The evil being the opposite of good. I did the opposite, God. I knew what was right and I did the opposite. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in the secret place. That's King David. He gets honest. Secondly, this guy takes ownership. And we live in a world, it's like, I don't even take ownership for anyone's stuff, let alone my own. It's like, uh, don't come to me. That, that's not my problem. Am I my brother's keeper? I said, no, take ownership of your stuff. And this guy's lying there, he's eating the pig's food. He's going, I did this. All I got was grace. All I got was generosity. All I got was love. All I got was a family. All I got was that and God. And yet I walked away. I did this. Maybe you're here today saying, I feel like a prodigal, Mark. Well, start taking ownership. And start allowing honesty to come. And my suggestion is come to your senses. Stuck in brokenness, stuck in pain. Uh, 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 there's something that devastates me. I make a comeback annually at gym. And so I get to see those people who have been more faithful through the summer and then the winter. They're just those faithful gym people. And my heart breaks. Because a young lady, a young lady used to be in this church. And we walked a journey. And I see her regularly at church, at gym. And every summer and every season, there's a new man and a new story. And my heart breaks. Because she's a daughter of the living God. Not meant to live from man to man, but to the Father. From that place of security. And I'm sitting there just saying, God, bring the prodigals home. Not to fill up a seat. So the young daughter can hear the Father. He says, actually, you don't need to give me anything. Look what I've done for you. Carries on. We realize step two is get up. He just says, so he got up. It's the hardest thing sometimes, guys. When you're low and you're struggling and you feel like no one's watching and there's no one there. Just to get up. Well, you need a shepherd. You might need some friends. You've got to tell someone, I'm really struggling. This week, a pastor that we've looked to and seen an incredible preacher stands up last weekend and confesses. And I'm going, someone needed to help him get up. Someone's got to help. Someone's got to speak. Please, Lord, let me. Don't be proud. Too proud to ask to speak. Sometimes there's days you've got to get up. Get up. And the fruit will be life. Psalm 119, I get up in the middle of the night to thank you. Your decisions are so right, so true. I can't wait till the morning. I get up. If you're struggling today and you don't know what to do, or you're watching online, you're saying, actually, I can't get up off this couch. You've got to get up. Come back to house. Come back to his father, to your father. Lastly and simply this, these are the most simple points you've ever heard. Walk. Just start walking. Not running. There's no running in the book of Ephesians for the sons and daughters of the living God. They're just walking. The only one who runs in the story is the Father. He says, and he came. So he got up and he went towards his Father. We have no idea how many steps he made. We don't know how long that journey is. We know it's far because it tells us earlier it was in a, a distant land. 
It's not like he's far. So he had to get up. He had to wake up in the midst and go, I'm covered in pig's mess. I have absolutely nothing. I've squandered it all. I have done this. Then he's got to get up. You know what happens when you get up? The mud doesn't just fall off. The smell doesn't just go away. The pains and the brokenness and the attitudes and the perspectives and the consequences, they don't just fall off. But you still got to get up. And maybe saying, I'm good now, Mark. Why are you telling me this? I'm telling you, every day, we've got to come to our senses. Every day. Every day, I've got to get up. Get up from self-pity. Get up from disappointment. Every day, I start walking. And my journey has a direction. My pace, consistent, which is hard for me. I'm like a sprint stop kind of guy. <laughs> sprint again. That's like my default. And yet I've learned that there's more life and freedom and breakthrough in walking. Just walking consistently. The measured heart rate. But with a, a gaze and you see the sun start practicing. And he's walking with his head, starts coming up a little bit higher, a little higher. He's practicing father of sin. And he starts practicing his rhetoric, rhetoric that he can tell his father as he lands. And then he sees and his father just starts running. This young lady at the gym has haunted me in my prayers, my time. Because I know, see, the problem with being a pastor sometimes, you know too much about people. I've moved to three gyms because I know too many people at the other ones. And then I go to this one. And I know what the backstory is. I know what the father's story is. I know what happened there all those years ago. And I know what the journey is. It's another journey of looking for love. Looking for someone who will run. Looking for someone who will put a cloak around you and make you clean again. Looking for someone who will give you the dignity, the care, the love. This is the gospel. This is Jesus. This is the Father. This is actually, you've got to lay some things down. You've got to put down some stuff. Your, your entitlement. It's not about entitlement. I'm a son of God. I deserve. And I've prayed that prayer. I prayed that prayer Sunday morning, after Sunday morning, before I came to church to preach, when my wife was in bed, not well. I prayed it every Sunday. And then the Father reminds me how good He is. Why would I forget? Taste and see. Why would you forget? Restless spirit. I got one of those. I got one of those. Every time I go back to Durban and I see my mates and they make different choices in life and there's different, my heart starts getting a little restless. I say, God, hey, hey, hey. He says, no. Remember how good I've been to you. How faithful I have been to you. And lastly, poor stewardship. My time, my talents, my gift. It's mine. I went to a wedding, uh, not a wedding to a birthday party last night of a lady who got up and said, let me tell you about my husband. He's the most generous man I've ever met. He's taught me generosity. He's taught me kindness. He's taught me irrational giving. He's taught me with time and talents and treasures to just give, to give, to give. And then I've been the recipient of that, close. I'm 
Okay, what an incredible honoring of a husband. What an incredible honoring. Won't you stand with me this morning? Can we close our eyes just for a moment? I know we do that often at church. But maybe it's just for one person this morning. Maybe this whole thing, all the hours of practice and preparation of this band, the guys have to get lights ready and the coffee teams, maybe it's all for one person this morning. Maybe it's for you. Can we close our eyes just for a second? If today you've got to come home, you just got to come to your senses to stop and get up. And you've got to start the journey. It's not a sprint. You don't need to read the book of Exodus by one o'clock. Just a journey, just a walk to a father. If you've got to start that today, and that's you today, and you're saying, I need that journey to the father this morning. Don't worry about what people think. It doesn't matter. Don't worry about the stench of what you did yesterday or last week. It doesn't matter. If the vision in your eyes is the father running, saying, I need that. I need that. Can you lift your hand this morning? I'd love to pray with you. If that's you this morning. There's many hands. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. This morning, keep your hands up to him. He is faithful. He is kind. Your inheritance is secure in him. It's a promised inheritance. It's a guaranteed inheritance. Pray this morning for restless hearts. I planted myself in a family and that family wasn't kind to me. I planted myself in a business and it wasn't good to me. I planted myself in a city and it wasn't kind to me. Plant yourself in Jesus. Plant yourself in Jesus, His grace, His life, His love. Plant yourself in Jesus today. Allow your senses to be heightened to His love, to His grace this morning. Plant yourself and get up. Make a decision to get up tonight, today. Get up. I know in this room there's disappointment. Disappointment of self, disappointment of others, disappointment in God. In the timings, in the way things have played out, I know that. My ask of you today is will you get up and start walking. Start walking to Jesus. Start walking to the Father this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Wash clean this morning, God. Clean, clean. Where the stench of a past lingers, clean. Where the stains of past failures hold, clean today, clean. You are clean. Washed by the blood of Jesus that never fails, clean. Set free by the grace of the living God. Bought by a price that cannot be compared, clean. Free from chains. Free from the lies. Clean. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us. If you'd like to take your next step or find out what is happening in the life of the church, head over to our website or follow us on social media. Cheers.